Grab a seat, guys. Uh, yeah, my name is Ricky, one of the pastors here. So good to be with you guys today. Uh, Jenny, welcome to the family. Excited to have you guys um, join us. So yeah, open up your Bibles to Psalm 22 as you're turning there. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things in this world that just don't make a lot of sense. And it makes us ask this question, why? I mean, like, why do we... I mean, we'll start off simple. You know, why do we park in a driveway, but we drive in a parkway? Why do people in Lincoln not understand that when you're turning, you don't get both lanes open to you. You just get the nearest lane. Like, not both of them. It's so that both people could turn into it. If you're like, I never knew that. We're talking about you. Please drive correctly. Why, why have you not learned the rules of the road? It's not, it's not your road. But, um, you know, we ask, uh, hey, well, why do people use the word literally so much to not mean literally um we you know we ask a lot of these types of questions and people probably you know asking me hey like why did my wife christy you know who's amazing who's beautiful who's awesome why did she agree to marry you ricky um you know why can't the huskers finally be good why why is this pandemic happening why, why during this pandemic and this flu virus is everybody so concerned about toilet paper when this virus actually does nothing to impact the frequency of your bowel movements? <laughs> you know, we, we, we ask this about a lot of things, but, we, but this, this question really starts to burn in us, this why, when life gets really tough. When we're facing certain circumstances in our life that really it's like, hey, it not only doesn't make sense, but I kind of almost need it to make sense. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me, God? Why, God, God, why didn't you stop it? God, why, why didn't you intervene? Or maybe because you've, maybe you've actually been crying out to God and you're asking a different why question is, God, why, God, are you not listening to me? And so we wrestle with that and we see the author here is experiencing the same thing here in Psalm 22. So let's just look at the first three verses here. It says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I, but I find no rest. And you know, and so we, we see this, this David, he's just crying out in despair. Utter frustration, anguish. And I mean, and this psalm starts off really hot, right out of the gate. Just my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, when I cry out to you, are, 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 are my words so far from you? And when Jesus comes to God with these, these questions, why haven't you done anything about it? Why are you so far from saving me? And he just feels that God has distanced himself from him. That God has deserted him. That God has, is just basically paying him no attention. And I mean, this is not just some kind of little normal chat that he's having with God. I mean, he's crying out, crying. I mean, it says there, I cry by day. I cry out at night. God, it's, it's all day I'm crying out to you. And I feel like when I'm praying to you, I feel like my prayers are no, getting no farther than the ceiling. 
I don't even know if they're reaching you, God, because you feel so far away. Are you just ignoring me? You know, many of you can relate. I think at all at one point or time or another, we kind of feel this, this anguish, this despair in us. You know, maybe it's because, God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you allow someone who, who, who's a great person, who I love, who, who they love you, why did they get cancer? God, why did either we or someone I know have that miscarriage? God, you could have stopped it. God, why didn't you? Why is this happening? And, and, and you know, and, and the things that you've been crying out to God, they're probably good things. You know, and, and that even makes you more frustrated. God, this, these are good things. Don't you want to see this happen too? So then why aren't you answering? God, don't, don't you want that person to be healed? God, don't you want us to have a family? God, don't you want me to be in a good relationship? Why, God? You ask God to help you, and you cry out to him, and just nothing happens. You know, and you're just in despair. And, and even, you know, so that here David's just crying out to God, and even, even in the next chapter, I mean, verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 4, David says something else. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Man, that sounds awesome in chapter 23, but here in chapter 22, he's like, I don't believe that. Man, I am in the valley of the shadow of death, and I feel like you're nowhere to be found. It doesn't feel like 23, you know, chapter 23, verse 4 is even true right now. Where are you, God? And he just feels God's nowhere around. And, but, but the only thing that actually seems to be close, you know, God, God's far away. It doesn't feel like God's anywhere near him. But guess who is close? Look at verse 6. Um, verse 6, it says, um, But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by, by mankind, I'm scorned by the people and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And then this is what this crowd, these people are saying. They're saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him, let God deliver him. Let God, let, you know, let him rescue him for he delights in him. Hey God, you're nowhere to be found. It feels like you're far away, but guess who does feel close to me? All these people that despise me. All these people that are mocking me. And in verse 16, it says that they encircle him. Verse 12, it says that they encompass him. And, and, and here's the thing. All these people that are around David, they're watching what's happening. And, and they're watching David depend on the Lord. They're watching David trust in God. And that's actually what's spurring them on to mock him. Man, look, he's crying out to God. And God's not answering them. Man, you're trusting in God? Doesn't seem like God's doing anything. You know, we, we have, uh, you know, as part of just kind of like the City Light family uh, of churches, we have a pastor's thread. And in there, there's a couple of people from Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, and, and they sometimes um, will, will kind of mock us for being Husker fans. 
um, and they'll say some things and stuff like that, and it's pretty annoying, and, um, and, and it's tough because you're like, hey, what am I going to say back? Ha-ha, you live in Iowa. I mean, you know, it's just like, you know, you're like, yep, you beat us again. Boink. You know, you, there's really nothing to say. And, and it, you know, it's kind of frustrating. You know, it stings because it's like, hey, man, that's my team. And, and ah, you know, and hey, you are beating us. And that's frustrating. You know, it's one thing to be mocked for your sports team, but it's another thing to be mocked for your God. And it's not because of these questions like, oh, hey, I don't understand. You know, how could God do this? Or how could God create the universe? Or all those things. It's not these questions. It's this mockery of, man, you're trusting in God. You're leaning into God, and your God doesn't seem to be showing up. And they're just mocking him. And then, you know, in verse 14, David just continues to, to talk about just how he feels in, in despair. In verse 14, you know, it says, I'm poured out like water. Man, I'm just like spread out. I can't even gather myself. I don't even know what to do. Um, you know, and then he says, you know, man, my heart is like wax. My strength is dried up. Man, I, I, I don't even know what to think right now. I, I, I just feel lost. You know, he says that my, my, my joints are are out of sync. I, I, can't, I don't even have the strength to really defend myself. I'm just melting away. I have no energy. I'm just broken. And then, and then um, you know, he, he says that, man, I'm, I'm, my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. Verse 17, you know, I, I count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. And in, in verse 18, it says, man, they divide my garments among them. They're, they're uh, and for my clothing, they're casting lots. You know, when we're talking about that, you know, they're, they're basically, all these people are around me and they're just waiting for me to die. It reminded me of this movie, uh, The Three Amigos, uh, when the three amigos come to, you know, face the infamous El Wapo and one little kid comes up to one of the amigos and he says, hey, can I have your watch when you are dead? You know, that, that's kind of like what's going on here. They're like, hey, this guy's about to die. I got his watch. I got his wallet. Man, I'm calling dibs on his iPhone. God, you're, you're far away. And the only people that are around me, they're not here to encourage me. They're not here to help me. They're here to just wait for me to die and grab my stuff. It's a really tough, I mean, he's just saying, man, God, I'm, I'm down. I'm out for the count. I can't pick myself up from the mat. I'm, a, I'm about to die. It's, it's just, gosh, I don't even know what to do here. And, and, you know, there, there's a couple of, you know, things I just want us to see from this text. What we see here in the passage is one, I and mean, we've talked about this as we've gone through the Psalms, but just to hit it again, we can be honest to God. We can go to him with everything. There is this no like, hey, you need to filter, you know, and kind of Photoshop yourself when you go to God. And this is very raw, honest conversation, prayer, crying out to God. We could do the same thing. And, and, you know, the other thing is, is that God understands us. God can relate. I, th I think many times we feel like God is just pretty distant. God, you know, you're, you're so, you're, you're just kind of over there. I don't know where over there is, heaven, or, or just over there. Definitely not over there in Iowa, but you're over there somewhere. You know, you, God, 
And, and we just think that when we pray to God, God, hopefully, if I explain it to you well enough, you might understand. But God, I really just don't think you're getting what I'm going through. I mean, one of the things I love about this passage is that, that this passage even just kind of goes back and forth. You know, there's this moment of anguish, of just despair, and then it's like David's going to God for hope. Man, you used to do this, you used to do that. Hey, you've been with me. And then it goes back to despair, and then it comes, comes back to hope. Isn't that just like real life? I mean, you have those, right? You have a day where you're just like, man, I feel lost. And then the next day you're like, man, I feel like I can trust in God again. You know, it's day to day, week to week. You have your good moments, you have your bad moments. These moments where you're just leaning into God, trusting him. And these moments where you're just like, I don't even want to talk to God. Right? And I just love that. It just shows us, hey, this is real life. It's real. God understands. But I want us to see more than that. You know, maybe we get it that God, he understands us and he kind of knows because, well, God knows everything. But it's not just that God knows these things, but God has experienced these things. I mean, Jesus is the one that cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was the one that was mocked by his enemies. I mean, in Matthew 27, it says they mock him as king of the Jews. You want to talk about being mocked? Jesus came to save them, and yet they're the ones mocking him. You know, they, and they say out to him, man, Jesus saved others. Can he not save himself? He's, he's the king of Israel. Then let him come down from the cross. He's trusted in God. Where is God to deliver him now? I mean, even, even the, the two criminals, the two robbers that are next to him on the cross, they, they jump in when they're being crucified, and they mock him. Jesus had enemies cast lots for his clothes. Jesus even cries out from the cross, I am thirsty. Even, you know, David in here, he, he lists these three times of anguish and then these three, three times that he goes to God in prayer. We even see Jesus doing the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's just sweating drops of blood because of all the pressure and all the anguish that he's in. He cries out to God three times. God, if it's, if it's possible... If there is another way, please take this cup from me. And so we get it that, that when, when we say, hey, Jesus understands us, it's not just because he knows things, it's because he's experienced them as well. And this is what Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says. It says, for we do not have a high priest, you know, talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, hey, because since God, God, we have this great high priest in Jesus who understands us, understands our weakness, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so whatever right now that you're facing or, or you know, in the past or, you know, about to, you know, just this, this suffering, this anguish, this confusion, you're not alone. God is with you. He's struggling with you in this, and he understands what you're going through. Even if you don't really maybe feel that way, he actually understands he can relate to you. And so we see, we've seen David, he's just going through this, this time of despair. 
But we also see this, this time of, of dependence and this running to God. So in verse 3, um, verse 3, he says, you know, he cries out in anguish. And in verse 3, he says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They, they trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In, in you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So David, you know, he, he's, he's struggling, but he's, he's looking to God. God, I'm looking to you for encouragement. And so he looks to the past. God, man, you are holy. And, and, and our fathers, you know, our, the, our ancestors, they cried out to you and you answered them. You rescued them. God, you were, you've, you were faithful to us as a people in the past. And he's just looking to that to, to encourage them, to encourage him. Um, and, then, and then it gets kind of more personal there in verse 9. So he's like, hey, you helped them. Our fathers looked to you. You delivered them. And in verse 9 he says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me take, you, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. And so he said, hey, you've been with Israel, us, the covenant people of God. You've been faithful to us. You've You've delivered them, but God, you've been with me from the very beginning. Man, you have been with me every step of the way of my life. You've been faithful. And so he's, he's just looking you know, for, for this, something to just grab onto of God's faithfulness, of, of what, what God has done and who he's been. You've been with me every step of the way. And then in verse 19, he appeals to, to God again, and he says, But you, O Lord, do not be far from far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen. And so, you know, earlier, um, you know, he, he, he says, My enemies, they encompass me. They're all around me. And he says, you know, the bulls of Bashan, and he says lions, and he says dogs, they, they encircle me. And then here he lists them in reverse order. So it was um, bulls, wait a minute, yeah, bulls, lions, dogs. And here it's dogs, lions, and he says oxen, which, you know, it's similar to bulls. Um, and so he's saying, hey, he lists them in reverse order. And he's saying, God, everything that's been happening to me, I want you to not just stop it, I want you to undo it. I want you to reverse it. And so God, man, God, e even like how Abraham was fatherless and old, God, you took Abraham and you made, you reversed it and you made him the father of many nations. We were these slaves in Egypt, oppressed, and then God, you actually reversed it. You freed us and you made us a light to the world. And God, I'm asking you to do that in my life. Don't just stop it, but Lord, reverse it. And, and he just goes back, you know, of, of, just, of just, God, you've been this, you've done this all the time, all the way. And, and he's not just even leaning on, on what God has done, but he's leaning on who God is. I mean, in verse 3, he says, but yet, God, you are holy. You're set apart, God. You're different. Well, what tends to happen when life gets really tough is that our circumstances, our situations that are really hard we, that's like right in front of our face, that's on our mind, and then we interpret everything through our situation. 
And we'll even interpret God through our, through our circumstances. Hey, this is what's happening to me. Well, because this is what's happening to me, this is my experience. This is, then must be who, what God is doing. But David is appealing to God's character, to who God is. God, you are holy. And for us, no matter what is happening, it's always we're looking at God. God, you are this. You are faithful. You are loving. You are holy. And so, God, I'm going to look at you and know who you are, and that's going to help me to interpret my circumstances. That's going to tell me what really is going on because I'm looking through you, like through who you are to tell me what is going on in my life. And then notice in verse 21, there's, there, you know, so we, we see this, um, you know, he's, he's in despair, he's crying out to God, he's leaning in him for, for dependence and trust. And then in verse 21, there's this quick shift. Save me from the mouth of the lion, and then, it, you know, from the horns of the wild oxen, and he says, you have rescued me. God, you have answered me, you have heard and I want you to notice is, again, that his circumstances here haven't changed. There's nothing here in like, hey, now my enemies are gone. Hey, now everything's fine. You've heard. We don't actually see that. It's just you have heard, and it's this quick shift in there. So did God actually change anything in the midst of that? And we, and we don't exactly know, but hey, God, you've been faithful in the past to Israel, to us, your people. You've been faithful to me. Every step of the way, God, I know you're going to answer because that's who you are. You've answered us in the past. You've answered me. You've been faithful. You will certainly be faithful in the future. And he's just leaning in to who God is. And because of all that, you know, just, hey, because God's going to answer, God's going to deliver, God's going to be faithful. And then he, say, and then he, he just goes on. I, I will, you know, verse 22, he says, like, I will tell of your name to my brothers, to the congregation, all offspring, glorify him. He's asking other people to, to join him in proclaiming who God is. He has not despised the abort or the, the affliction of the afflicted. And he just, he just, you know, David, he goes from this like kind of despair, this dependence kind of back and forth and to this, this expectation that he's going to proclaim who God is. Hey, be God, because you've answered, you've intervened, I'm going to tell everybody of who you are. I'm, I'm going to ask other people, the congregation, Israel, all these people to just join in me in, in declaring, God, who you are. And then he has this expectation of what that's going to do. In, um, you know, in, um, let's see, in verse, verse 27, all, hey, because of this, because of this proclamation of just sharing of who God is and what he's done, verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember. All the families of the nation shall be before you. Hey, this isn't just like me and my little thing. This actually isn't even just us and the congregation thing. This is going to, to be all the nations. This is going to go global and impact more and more people for kingship. Verse 28, kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. The, hey, all the prosperous of the earth will eat and they'll worship. Even those who are rich, even, though, even, ver, even the one who cannot keep himself to die. Hey, so the rich are going to worship you, God, and even those who can't even save their, soul, save their own life, they're going to be worshiping you. Basically, everybody is going to be worshiping you because I'm going to share of what you've done. I'm going to go tell it. I'm going to go proclaim it. 
And then even in verse 39, it shall be told, told of the Lord to the, up, you know, to the coming generation. Hey, God, to even those who haven't even been born yet, they're going to hear of who you are. So David is saying, hey, I'm going to proclaim this and I have this expectation, God, that you're going to change lives through this. Never underestimate how God can use you. Never underestimate you sharing the gospel or your story, your testimony to someone else and to say, hey, this is what God has done in my life. I mean, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your workplace, your kids, your nieces and nephews, you just never know how that is going to change someone's life and impact someone for eternity. I mean, David has this expectation, hey God, because, because I'm going to share of who you are and what you've done, this is going to happen. Never underestimate how God could use you. Church, you I mean, even think, what does God have for us? City Light South, that, that, I mean, because he talks about this congregation joining in, proclaiming who God is and what he's done. You know, David is looking, obviously, you know, before the cross, and we're looking back towards the cross. And church, I, I know that, like, th- things right now are just crazy. Let's just say it, right? It's weird. But there's one thing that is constant in all of this. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when for us as a church, for you as as a follower of Jesus, what is the message that we proclaim? It is always on the tip of our tongue because it is just so beautiful. It is the gospel. We are people that are moved by the gospel. We are people that are shaped by the gospel. We are people that are motivated by the gospel because we are people that are saved by the gospel. All of these things that are going out out there, yeah, are crazy. But here's the good news. We know what will ultimately bring healing and solve it all is Jesus. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus heals lives. Jesus awakens people. And so for us, I want us to be so excited more than ever that, hey, This is the message that we're going to speak. It is that Jesus has come into this world to save sinners. That's even why Paul says, we proclaim Christ crucified. That is what should excite us more than anything because, hey, the ultimate answer, God has given it to us in Jesus Christ. He's the one that can change this world more than anything because at the bottom of just all of these things, whatever it is, out there, it's a sin problem. And the only one who can save us from sin, the only one who can, can change us from sin and, from the, and free us from the presence and power of sin is Jesus. So let us cling to, man, let's proclaim that message. Let's proclaim what Jesus has done, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and that he's changed us, that he saved us. God can use that in just beautiful ways. And so we've seen here, just in this psalm, David's desperation, him just crying out in despair to God. We see his dependence, and we see this, this excitement for this proclamation. 
But ultimately, this psalm is not about David. There is actually no event in David's life that can account for all of this. When it says there that that he sees his hands that are pierced and his feet that are pierced, that actually never happened to David. And for us, that seems very clear that's talking about crucifixion, which actually wasn't even invented yet at the time of David. That's not a Jewish invention. That's a Roman invention that was hundreds of years later. And so David even says this in, in Acts, that David, he, he foresaw something not for himself, but he foresaw what would happen and what would come in Jesus. And so Jesus, at the time of his crucifixion, he quotes the Psalm, Psalm 22 quite a bit. And so just showing that, that Jesus is even, one, leaning into Scripture, but also saying, hey, this is, this is about me. Hey, what, what David experienced and wrote, you know, what David experienced kind of some, you know, um, somewhat, he experienced partially, and he wrote about it poetically. Jesus experienced it literally. I mean, Jesus was mocked. By those around him, his enemies surrounded him. When they cast, when they crucified Jesus, they cast lots for, for his clothes. This is what it says in Isaiah 53.3. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. In this passage, there's no plea for vengeance. There's no plea, hey, get back at my enemies. Jesus actually lived that out. If you look at the, all of that, and even just from the cross, he even just cries out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. In verse 15, his tongue sticks to the roof of, the, of his mouth. Jesus says from the cross, I thirst. In verse 17, it says, I can count all my bones. Verse 2, it says, I am a worm, not a man. Isaiah 52, talking about the suffering servant, Messiah to come, says that he was marred beyond human likeness. Couldn't even recognize him. His heart is like wax. Jesus cries out to the Father in anguish. God, if there's another way, take this cup from me. And in the moment of despair, as darkness is covering the land, Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the question that David starts this psalm out with. And here's the answer to that question that God is saying to David and he's saying to you. My, you know, the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God answers back, I didn't. I sent my son and he was forsaken for you. He was forsaken for you so you would never have to be forsaken. He took the penalty and the price for sin so that you wouldn't have to pay it. I'm a just God and I have wrath and anger towards sin because I'm holy. And hey, that didn't come to you. That went to my son. And you, we, we might feel abandoned or we might feel forsaken by God, but Jesus was really the one that was forsaken for us so that we will never be. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It says that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, was completely innocent, knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin for us. Galatians 3.13 says that he became a curse for us. 
Jesus didn't, didn't just die for sin. He became sin. He became that curse. This is what uh, Pastor Timothy Keller says. He says, The sovereign God himself has come down into this world and has experienced its darkness. He has personally drunk the cup of his suffering down to its dregs. And he did it not to justify himself, but to justify us. That is to bear the suffering, death, and curse for sin that we have earned. He takes that punishment upon himself so that someday he can return and end all evil without having to condemn and punish us. Isaiah 53 says that surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. God laid that sin, that penalty, that, that curse on Jesus when he was crucified on the cross. He paid the price for your sin, for your pride, for your selfishness, for your greed, for your gossip, for your just ungodly desires, for your apathy towards God. Jesus stepped in and paid the price that you couldn't pay. So this psalm, it starts with this, this cry out to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with a cry of victory. So look at verse 31. They shall proclaim, shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. And then a cry right here that is very similar, if not the same, as what Jesus Christ from the cross, that he has done it. It is finished. It's what Jesus says from the cross. He has done it. Which means you can't do it. I don't know if any of you ever watched the, the show The Voice, um, but in case you're unfamiliar with it, what, how, this is how the, the show The Voice works, is that there's four judges, and they sit in these chairs, and they have their back towards the singer. I mean, it's a, it's a singing competition. You try to get on there, and, and I don't know what you win. You just win. Um, but so the person, the, the, the you know, contestant that's trying to, to sing good enough, perform well enough, they'll walk up onto the stage, and the judges are facing away from them. And they'll just start to sing. And so the judges are only going off of their voice. And if the judge likes what they hear and they think that they're good enough, they'll push this button and their chair will spin around. And at the bottom of the chair, it'll say, I want you. And I think that we think it's that way with God a lot. Hey, if I perform well enough, if I do well enough, if I behave well enough, if I read my Bible well enough, if I don't do bad things well enough, God will spin around and he'll look at me and he'll want me. But God isn't like that at all. God spins his chair around before you even start to sing a word. Before you even show him what you got, God pushes that button and spins that chair around. But actually, it's even more than that. The reality is, is that you can't even sing. You don't even have a voice. You're just over there in the darkness, in your death, in your sin. And Jesus comes up, gets out of his chair, and comes over there into the darkness and rescues you. That is what happens. He has done it. You do nothing. You, you, you contribute nothing. So when we read these words, he has done it. That has done it completely. It is finished. It is paid in full. He was the one that was forsaken so that we don't have to be. He was the one that was mocked 
by his enemies. And now when even our enemy goes to God and mocks us and accuses us, Jesus is our defender. Jesus is our advocate. He's the one that was undone, that separation between us and God because he took on our sin and gave us his righteousness, totally by his love, totally by his grace. And so you can't save yourself from your sin. You can't earn your way to God. You don't chip in. You don't help make yourself more forgivable or anything like that. We do nothing because Jesus has done everything. He has done it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, praise you, God, that you have done it. Praise you, God, that you did something that we can never do for ourselves. And Lord, I pray for anybody out there today, that just even in this room, listening online, if there's somebody that just doesn't know you, God, I pray, Lord, that they will turn to you now and just see that they can be forgiven, that they can have this relationship with you, that they can be made right with God totally because you have done it for us, God. So Lord, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself, Lord, and that they would turn to you in faith. And Lord, I pray that even just as we well, think through this, Lord, that we'll just always constantly look to you, no matter how much despair we feel, Lord, to know that you are faithful. And if we ever wonder, Lord, are you really that faithful? You're the one that came and rescued us out of death and darkness, God. You're always faithful. We ask this in your name. Amen.